gospel starts at Genesis chapter 22, verse 20, and finishes chapter 23, verse 20. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz the firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jillaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's mother, Nahor, his concubine, whose name was Roima, also had sons, Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Mekah. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among ye. Sell me some property for a burial site here so that I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so that he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who have come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field, Accept it from me so that I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both of the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was legally made over to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Space, a final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.
Oh, the original was the best, wasn't it? I know Patrick Stewart tries hard, but it's just not the same. Anyway, um, but the thing is, whether you're William Shatner or um, Patrick Stewart, pretty much saying exactly the same words, um, they both make a serious mistake. Because the fact of the matter is, you don't pronounce it frontier, okay? No, actually, no, the, the fact of the matter is, space is not the final frontier or frontier. Because the final frontier actually, as we all know, is death. And this evening, we're looking at Genesis chapter 22, 20 to 23, 20. Actually, we're not really going to look at the end of chapter 22. Uh, all those names that Sarah read out for us so well there. Um, uh, thank you very much, but we're not... Um, we're just, uh, we're, uh, it's, it's actually just a bit of a genealogy, and it's just simply telling us that uh, Abraham's brother, called Nahor, uh, was the great-grandfather uh, uh, of uh, Rebekah who's uh, Abraham's son Isaac married in chapter 24. But we're not looking at that today because we want to look at this, the fact from this passage that death, the final frontier. Let's pray. Well, it seems a bit of a funny passage for this evening, uh, but we believe this is your word. And so we pray you'd speak to us through it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Yeah, this is a student send-off service, so why are we talking about death? Well, we're talking about this mainly because it's uh, the next bit of Genesis, that we're preaching through the book of Genesis. This is the next bit, okay? And and so that's where we've got to. But uh, if you're a student, you need to know that death happens. We all need to know. When I was a student, there were, uh, I did geography, and there were six of us in my college doing geography. At least six of us started it, four finished. One of them went off to do something called a land economy, uh, and we never quite worked out what that was. Um, but uh, one of them died. His name was John Wilcox. In the first two years, uh, John, well, he had cystic fibrosis, and so most days he was going off to the hospital to uh, get the gunk out of his lungs and so on. And then when we went back for the start of the third year, John had died over the summer. We thought he was doing okay. But he wasn't at all. It was much more serious than we thought. He was 21. And a student with me at uni. So uh, uh, we need to see, first of all, first main point this evening, uh, is that death is real. Death is real. Have a look at verses 1 and 2 here. Uh, Sarah lived to be 127 years old, which isn't bad, is it? It's better than 21. But she died. She died. No complaints, I suppose, at 127. Um, But this is the reality of Genesis chapter 23. Uh, Death is real. You look at the number of times here that it says uh, died or dead or bury your dead. So, for instance, look at the end of verse 11. Bury your dead. Uh, and the end of verse 15, bury your dead. And in fact, those little phrases come in verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 6 and verse 8 and verse 11 and verse 13 and verse 15. Uh, this is about the fact that Abraham's wife, Sarah, has died. People die. Sir Walter Scott wrote this, and come he slow or come he fast, it is but death who comes 
at last. And usually it's rather sad, very sad and difficult. Now, of course, we can we can try and, you know, be terribly British and tight-lipped about it and control our emotions and so on. Or we can uh, lighten it up a bit. Um, someone wrote this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray that Jesus ain't a fake. So we can try and lighten the atmosphere a bit. And uh, talking of that, I, this is a genuine notice outside a cemetery. Okay? It said this. Due to industrial action, this cemetery will be maintained by a skeleton staff. <laughs> dear, oh dear. But let's be serious about this, because this is a passage. It's about a bloke arrave, arranging his wife's funeral. And yes, she was old. And he was a very old man. He was 137. And he goes in, and look at verse 2. He uh, mourns for Sarah, and he weeps over her there. It's rather touching, isn't it? It's actually the first reference in the Bible to a man crying. And as we look at this passage this evening, uh, we see in this chapter the first grave in the Bible, and the first funeral in the Bible. And uh, there are people here tonight, in our church family tonight, who have been in exactly the same situation. Uh, And by the way, as you see Abraham crying there, if you lose a loved one, please don't worry about crying and please don't apologize. Don't need to be embarrassed. And you certainly don't need to be embarrassed with someone who is crying. Just get some tissues. That'll help. Crying's okay. It can be a good thing. It can be a very helpful thing. Abraham cried. And then he has to arrange the funeral. These days, of course, funeral directors uh, are very helpful, and they, uh, they help us with that, with all the loads of decisions that had to be made. But for Abraham, and in his day, it was, it was very much DIY. He, here he is having to sort out his wife's funeral. And there's a problem, the biggest problem he's facing, and it's the problem that is looked at this evening, and it's this. Um, he doesn't own any land. He's got nowhere to bury Sarah to make sure that he can come back there if he should wish to do so, and so on. And in verse 20, uh, chapter 23, there's lots of details about negotiations to buy this bit of land, to have this family burial plot. And you could be forgiven for thinking, really, this is really very tedious. It's really rather boring, but it's hugely significant. So please, will you stick with me? So look at verse 3. Uh, Abraham rose uh, from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. Now, they were from way up north. They're like up in Scotland, as far as we would be concerned. Um, but clearly, some have settled down south. Now, Abraham's right down as far south as you can get in this uh, uh, on the promised land there. And it's probably these Hittite guys had come down for business purposes, and they'd settled there, and they'd obviously bought some land. And so, uh, um, uh, and it all sounds wonderfully generous. So, look at verse 6. He's talking to these guys, sir, listen to us. You're a, this is talking to Abraham. You're a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. And uh, in other words, we'll give it to you. But Abraham has his eyes on one particular tomb in the cave at Machpelah in verse 9. He wants to buy it. Uh, and there's a guy who owns it. And he says, verse 11, No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that's in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. 
That sounds wonderful. That guy's called Ephron. And then the thing is, when Abraham insists on buying it, then uh, this guy Ephron charges Abraham an absolutely extortionate amount. 400 shekels is a bit like selling one of these houses in Holmes Avenue for about 10 million. So it's way over the top. Uh, and in all this, you see, oh, you're a mighty prince, we'll give it to you. It sounds a bit more like the traditional kind of way you did negotiations in those days. Like, you know, they had very little intention of giving it to him, actually. They just wanted to charge him a lot of money for it. But you had to start out by being pretending to be extremely generous and so on. Probably that's the way it goes on. Anyway, Abraham bought it, verse 18. And it takes place, look at verse 18 there, to Abraham uh, uh, as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. The city gate was like the solicitors, okay? So if you, you know, this is saying this is a proper legal decision that they've come to. Or it's all done and dusted. It's witnessed by the other people sitting there. uh, And that's where it all happened in those days. Just a small property purchase, 3,800 or so years ago. So why is it so significant for us today? Well, you might find it interesting that the place is actually venerated by the Jews. It's the second holiest site in Judaism after the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Sarah was buried at Machpelah there. Abraham, a little while later, was buried at Machpelah. Their son Isaac was buried at Machpelah. Rebekah was buried at Machpelah. Jacob and Leah were buried at Machpelah. You can go there today. It's, I don't know if it's the case, but it certainly used to be the case. If you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, they wouldn't let you in, but you could still go there because it was so holy to the Jews, only the Jews were allowed in. Um, but even so, we're, we're Christians, we're not Jews, so what? What have we got to learn from this? How should our lives be uh, uh, any different because of this? You know, you're going off to uni, or you're starting work, or you're going back to uni, uh, uh, or going, you know, in, in the next uh, couple of weeks or so. How is your life going to be different at uni because of reading this tonight? It's hard to see, isn't it? Well, so far... We just remember that death is real. It happens. Most students at uni have never been to a funeral. Christian young people, members of a Christian church, you may well have been to a funeral here of one of our old saints. And at uni or soon after, you may well have to help friends through a funeral. What do we wear? What time do we turn up? Do we go to the creme afterwards? Can we sing? Do we go to the, you know, the, the bash afterwards and so on? Or is that just for the family and so on? And that is certainly the experience of our children at uni and in a few years after it. One of the guys, for instance, who Kat was at uni with, um, I once gave him a lift. Uh, he lived down over towards Petersfield. And I, I, um, when I went to collect Kat one day at uni, I gave him a lift most of the way home, we met his mum in Sainsbury somewhere. And, uh, uh, but he just in a year after, you know, he died. He had cancer when he was there. He qualified as a physio. He was on Cat's course. And he died just uh, the year after. And Cat uh, was saying that as, uh, as she and Sam went to his funeral, there are a lot of her friends on the course just hadn't got a clue about funerals and what you do and what happens and so on. And they were a great help because obviously they'd been to some funerals here of some of our wonderful saints here who've gone before us. But that's not the main point of the passage. It's not the reason it's in the Bible. The reason this is in the Bible is you've got to remember where this grave 
is. And the absolutely key verse is in verse 19. Okay. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And the key thing is the last three words of that verse. The land of, it's four words, the land of Canaan. It's the promised land. And Abraham's bought it. Okay, greatly extortionate price, but he bought it. If he'd been given it, just accepted it as a gift, then they could have demanded it back at some point. But it's, uh, God has promised, didn't he? God promised he was going to give Abraham the promised land. And here is the first bit of the promised land which Abraham can say, it's mine. It's been given me by God because he's given me the, the wherewithal in order to purchase this. And he buys a bit of it. He's got a foothold. A foothold. So his wife buried in the promised land. Abraham will be buried in the promised land. Abraham and Sarah's son buried in the promised land. This is God fulfilling his promise. I'm going to give you a land to live in. That's the promise. It's running all the way through Genesis. That's the key thing about Genesis. And we see it happening here. And he's got his foothold here in the promised land. So that's the first thing. Death is real. But the second thing is even more important. It's the final frontier. God's promises transcend death. This is the key point. Sarah died in faith. You read about it in Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not going to turn to it now, but verses 11 to 15, uh, 11 to 16, and especially in verse 15, it talks about people who died in faith, and that includes Sarah. And she believed God's promise. And then after she died, she was buried in the promised land. You see, God's promises transcend death. God's promises of a land to Abraham transcend death. Sarah's bones are there. Abraham's bones, they're there. God's promises transcend death. John Calvin, great Reformation guy, said this. While they themselves were silent, the sepulcher cried aloud that death formed no obstacle to their entering on the possession of what God had promised. In other words, what he's saying is that death couldn't stop God's promises becoming true. But it's even better than that. It's even better than that because death was the means by which God's promises became true. Death was the, the root that God chose to use for his promises to come true. Death here, Sarah's death was the catalyst for Abraham to own the first bit of the promised land. And for us, it's exactly the same. Because our promised land is heaven. And our own death is the means by which that is achieved. By the means by which we reach that. But it's even more than that, isn't it? Because actually, the reason we can have a promised land, the reason we can look ahead to that, is because of Jesus' death for us. To open the gates to our promised land. So uh, God's promises transcend death, but actually God's promises come real and are brought about and are given to us through death, both Jesus and ours. Jesus' death is the means by which the promise comes true. Our death and Jesus' death make that possible. Because, you know, when you die... If you're a Christian, the next thing you'll know is 
going, being there in heaven. God's promise coming true for you because Jesus died for you. 110 years ago, a guy called uh, the Reverend W.H. Griffith Thomas uh, wrote this in a commentary. And it's one of those that I read this week. And, it's, and he wrote this. The expectation and anticipation of reunion in Christ on the day of resurrection is still, still the real hope, the blessed comfort, and the strong inspiration of the people of God. It enables us to look upon death without fear and to look forward without dread. In the midst of death, we are in life through him who is the resurrection and the life. So if we're Christians, when we die, heaven awaits. In fact, death is the means of receiving God's promises. As death, our greatest enemy, is turned by Jesus, by his death, into the truly wonderful gateway to experience the fulfillment of all God's promises to us. It's no longer something to fear or even to shy away from. And that's why, for instance, why a Christian funeral can be such a, a wonderful thing. And we've had some absolutely wonderful funerals in this building. Sad, yes. A parting, yes. Grieving, yes. Tears, may well be but also a wonderful assurance that heaven is better by far. And death is a gateway to glory because God's promises transcend death. The death is the means of God's promises becoming real for us, becoming true for us individually. And so one final thing to say is this. Therefore, Be confident. Be confident. Let's be confident as we face the future, uh, our own old age, and our own looming death, unless Jesus returns first. Look forward to heaven, not with arrogance, but with a a humble confidence. Uh, If we're confident about death, which as Christians we should be, it seems to me we can also be confident about life. If God has sorted out our greatest ever problem, the biggest problem that you could ever face, and promised to get us through death and to heaven, and if he's promised, which he has, to be with us to the very end of the age, so don't you think he might just be able to be with you, say, when you go back to uni, or when you go for the first time, or when you start that new job, maybe tomorrow? Don't you think he'd like to use you to help others believe what you believe and don't you think he'll give you the strength and the courage to be able to speak out about your faith and don't you think he will be with you just simply as you perhaps slightly nervously start that new job and don't you think he'd like you to use your time at uni to grow to love him more and to read more about Jesus and to get to a good church and to fall in love more with the one whose promises transcend death. And don't you think you could go to uni or a new job and be confident in your, confident in your work, knowing that the one who's enabled you to get those grades, the one who's overseen that you've been given that offer, that you're going to be able to manage it might seem a bit daunting, but he will help you to do that 
as well. For a Christian, because of our Lord Jesus, death is no longer a problem. And if God has sorted out death, which he has, then it should give us a huge and humble confidence that whatever we're facing next month or next term, if you're a Christian, God is with you every single step of the way. The key thing for tonight is just to remember this, that for Christian people, God's promises transcend death. And what we've seen in this passage is just simply this extraordinary and wonderful fact that it's not just that they transcend death, but actually death is the means. Jesus' death, and in the end your death, is the means by which those promises come true. We see it in Sarah. We rejoice that actually her death meant that Abraham had the first bit of the promised land, God's promise to him. And those promises come true for us when we face the final frontier. I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then Chris will lead us in further prayers. Father, thank you um, that in something that seems fairly obscure in the Bible, actually it was wonderful because that was the first bit of the promised land. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to, to trust you Lord, thank you that you even use death, our greatest enemies, to bring your promises true for us, like you did for Abraham through Sarah's passing. And we pray, Father, that actually you'd help us to trust you. Trust you with the biggest thing in life. And trust you with the daily things as well. Starting tonight and tomorrow morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen.